Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our topic today is living with a mother's death by suicide, the anatomy of grief. And our guest is Dr. Francesca McCartney. Francesca holds a Ph.D. in energy medicine and intuition medicine. Since 1976, Francesca has worked in the holistic health field as a medical intuitive in an integrative medical clinic, ministerial counselor, educator, and author. In 1984, Francesca founded the Academy of Intuition Medicine, which offers vocational programs in the field of energy medicine, and in 2006 founded Energy Medicine University, offering both MS and PhD degrees in integrative holistic health. Her recent book is Body of Health, The New Science of Intuition Medicine for Energy and Balance. Welcome to the show, Francesca. Good morning, Heidi and Gloria. I'm happy to be here with you. It's great to have you on. And uh, before we get started, Francesca, I wanted to say that Heidi and I are sort of starting to take a a little different tack because uh, the majority of our shows in the past have been uh, with the loss of a child or a grandchild or a sibling. And now we're trying to uh, broaden a little bit and bring in some experts like Francesca who have also had a loss because we feel like that's important. But there are a lot of experts out there. We're starting to receive uh, messages from people people nationally, aren't we, Heidi? That, yes, we're starting to receive people messages from people that are experts as well as people that are grieving, and they're telling us, you know, we haven't had the death of a sibling or a child, but we've had the death of a spouse and a parent, and we're listening to your show because we find it very healing. And, and we feel like we have some information that can mm-hmm. help uh, general bereavement, so... So that's uh, kind of the, how we're doing, going with this today. And Francesca uh, had a mother die by suicide, right, Francesca? Yes, I did. Could you talk a little bit to our audience about that, and then we'll talk a little bit about how you've healed in that journey and uh, advice you have for them. Well, my mother committed suicide in the, in the 70s, so it, it was a while ago. The memory is still very vivid with me. And uh, I was in my 20s at that time. I was 26, 27 and my mother was going through depression, and her doctor at that time was simply giving her sleeping pills. And she, uh, I, I did not live, uh, she lived in Michigan, my family lives in Michigan, and I'm, I was in California, I still am. I was visiting her on a New Year's, um, Christmas, New Year's Eve, and she and I were talking about my divorce. Um, my father had recently asked her for a divorce, and that's what had spiraled her into depression. And she um, sh- she had been really a mother ever since she was 16 years old when her mother died of breast cancer, mm-hmm. and she had to take over being the mother to her 11 siblings at wow. 15 years old. Mm-hmm. She had to drop out of school and such. So all she really ever knew was how to be a mother and how to be a wife. And here she was in her 50s, her husband asking her for a divorce, and she was spiraling into depression. So, uh, And at that time, they didn't know a lot about depression or didn't? Did not. And, and actually, you know, I've done a lot of research on this and talked to many of my family members. And, and my family, as we've discovered, has genetic depression. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it has come into, you know, recent medical and, and scientific awareness that that is something that genetically can be passed down, is inherited, and so on. We had, we've had 
numerous cousins, I've had numerous cousins attempt suicide mm-hmm. unsuccessfully, one cousin attempt suicide successfully. Mm-hmm. So we've had two suicides in our family. And my cousin was 18 years old. Wow. Um, interestingly, as I looked, reviewed these suicides, planning for the show, I realized that each one of them had to do with a relationship. Mm-hmm. The loss of a relationship, you know, either through divorce or mostly through divorce or, or such. So that seems to be a pattern in our family that we are, are more openly, myself and my cousins, some of our aunts and uncles, are talking about and looking for ways to heal that kind of depression other than taking medication, which mm. was all that was available or known for depression in the 70s. Do you remember at the time, just uh, to explore this a little bit for our audience, any stigma around it or how did you deal with it? Was there secrecy? And it sounds like you're so open with it right now, which which I really like because there can be so much secrecy around it. Well, our family was Catholic. And if you know anything about Catholicism, the um, if a person dies by suicide, then they are banished from the church. They cannot be buried in the church and so on. So my father basically lied and did not tell our parish priest that my mother had committed suicide so that she could have a church burial with the church's blessings and all that sort of stuff. So during the funeral, standing next to my father when people would, would greet him and, and, um, and talk to him, they would ask because, you know, many people didn't know how did she die. He would say, um, I, I think he said... Um, something about her heart her heart gave out mm. well you know in essence she died of a broken heart yeah that is true. emotional grief that is true how did you feel when he said that i mean did you feel like it should have been out or it was okay or um how did, how did that make you feel I did not feel okay about that and actually it started a huge rift between my father and i because he was being dishonest in reporting the way my mother died and actually not dealing with it as I thought it should be dealt with, which was he taking on some, on, on, you know, I thought a huge responsibility was on his part from, for my mother's suicide, and he you, wasn't going there with me. You know, Heidi, don't you think it's kind of amazing that Francesca now has had the opportunity to actually talk about her mother's suicide in the book and on the show? Absolutely, and I'm just thinking for your family it's so important because you've got a history of suicide attempts and a successful suicide among relatives, and the only way we're going to stop these things and be preventative is to get it out in the open and talk about suicide and not make it such a stigma. Well, you know, I was actually quite nervous when my book came out of my family members having some kind of response to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so far, I haven't received any negative response. I've received some not responses at all. But, yeah, it, it, you know, it was a lot for me to write about my mother's suicide and make it public. Mm-hmm. I bet. And even after all these years, it's amazing. Well, Francesca, I'm not sure. I, I want to get this in for some of our Catholic listeners out there, but maybe the church, particularly in some areas, and, and some priests have become a little more tolerant, a little more liberal about this. Oh, I think so, yes. So I think things this have changed. In the 70s. But, yeah, that's certainly how, how it was then. So, uh, I, as I said, it's an amazing thing and, and quite a uh, legacy to give to your children that you're willing to write about this openly, don't you think, Heidi? Absolutely, and if, if Francesca can talk so openly about it, that means when people are feeling depressed, her children, her friends, they, they know they can go to her and, and talk to her because she's that kind of person. She's open to hearing it and to helping people through their journey so that suicide is not an option. Absolutely. And my response was, as you read in my book, I cried nonstop every day for a year. 
Yeah, you were very close to your mom. Very, very And very intuitively connected. I think there's still a, a lot of stigma, and I think what happens is when someone, and Francesca can speak to this more than I can, when someone takes their life by their own hand, and, and it, it is a suicide, people are, don't know what to say, so they don't say anything. And so people that are grieving need support, and nobody's saying anything. Was that your experience, Francesca? Yes, it was. And I think the big question that people didn't ask out loud was, who, whose fault was it that your mother committed suicide or your loved one committed suicide? Was it your fault? Did you contribute to it? So part of the stigma, too, was people transferring their own fear and their own guilt and blame to, to the, the surviving family. Of, right. uh, of the person who committed suicide. Yeah, and uh, Francesca has written about her mother's suicide in her new book, The Body of Health, uh, The New Science of Intuition, Medicine for Energy Balance. And I want to get on to that because, um, Francesca, can you talk to our audience a little bit about your healing journey? I know you were into the healing arts before your mother died. And then how did you use them and um, and what would you suggest to our audience? Well, my... Grief was was mainly crying. My, my grief process, mm-hmm. and uh, after my mother died, I cried every day for a year. And I, I was a, a teacher at that time, Montessori teacher, and I would amazingly, as soon as I walked onto the campus, stop crying. And as soon as I left the campus, I would start crying again. So it was nonstop crying for a year. At that time in my life, but you I, were able to compartmentalize it. I, yes, I was. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at, during that time in my life, I had been practicing meditation. Uh-huh. I'm a very introspective person and an introvert, so my personal preferences for healing have always had to do with going inside and finding my answers and feeling, um, understanding my feelings. So as as I was going through this grief crying I and, and in meditation and quiet time with my body, I realized that my muscles hurt a lot. And, mm-hmm. and whenever I was crying, my muscles would feel like they would swell up and that's where the tears were coming from so i i found a reikian uh, body work therapist and decided to work with him and i i did for probably i think for about nine months and what that involves if you don't know what reikian therapy is he, he he would put his hands on my body as i was crying and in the particular muscle groups and he would do deep muscle manipulation to release the grief from those particular areas of my body. You know, this this just is an amazing thing because grief is so physical, and I think sometimes we lose touch with that. We think it's some kind of a men- totally mental process, and our thoughts control our muscles. Well, you know that that is my whole my that was my whole understanding of grief as I went through it, and actually I do talk about that quite a bit in my book, and that's how I've developed my theory of using your intuition, using your inner contemplative senses for understanding health, for releasing grief and sadness and such, because that was my journey. So after, after I went through that and continued to go through this Reikian body work, I, I was crying less, but I was still crying. So in my own meditations, my own introspections, trying to deal with this, this hurt and this, this loss, I began to isolate that two areas of my body were still feeling full of grief and full of tears. They were my gut and my heart. And I actually felt that it was my physical, my physical stomach, my physical heart. And interestingly enough, I was at a, a girlfriend's house um, out in her garden, and of course I was crying. I always cried when I was alone. I was alone. And into the garden quietly walked her cousin, who was a homeopathist. 
and <clears throat> homeopathy is an alternative modality for healing. Uh, some of your listeners may know what it is. He sat down with me. He asked me why I was crying. Um, I opened up to him. And then I, I began about six months of work with him where he uh, gave me homeopathic remedies for releasing a deep cellular grief because I was feeling the grief at that point then, not in my muscles, but in the organs of my body. And the homeopathy uh, really released another whole chunk of the grief and the crying. And uh, I, I was able to go through my days with less crying and less sense of depression myself because I was feeling deeply depressed. Now, let me say one of the things that I really like about your new book a lot, The Body of Health, is that you are, if our audience picks up this book, they will learn techniques. They really don't have to go outside this book. Um, you can read this book. You can find things about meditation, meditation spaces. And for our audience, how, how would they meditate? How would they start if they're really, you know, scattered all over the place and, and can't sit down and think without crying? And what would you suggest to them? I know you have some chapters on this. Well, as as you know, I've worked with thousands of people in in holistic health for 30 years now. And what I've found is that if a person has... Um, grief or sadness or emotions that they can't deal with in kind of outward ways, maybe talk therapy or physical ways, that a really positive way to begin to work with it and have a, have a foundation for discovering how to heal yourself, because my book is all on how to heal yourself, is to create a meditation practice. And meditation means to heal yourself from within. That's, that's the Latin derivative of that. And what I begin to teach in my book is how to quiet your mind because usually the mind is just running amok with uh, judgment. Somebody calls it the drunken monkey. Yes, the drunken and, monkey. Well, and they said that even when you're asleep, your mind is at work. That's right, yeah. That, and actually, um, I, I do have techniques for quieting your mind when you're asleep as well. But first, we're people... Yeah, you, what I like about your techniques, Francesca, for people out there, is there's like one, two, three. I mean, they're really concrete, because I think our audience needs that. When you've had this kind of a loss, you need to be able to pick it up and find do this, do this, here's a recommendation, a set a sanctuary, a special place that you're going to do at a special time. Um, just things as simple as that, right? Yes. So finding a special place in your home, special chair, you sit, you close your eyes, you listen to your breath. There's a lot of power in healing, just quietly listening to your breath. Your breath listening to your breath closes your mind down. That's the first step to closing your mind. Then visualizing or affirming or feeling that you are coming wholly into your body, into the inside of your body. I strongly believe and have observed that the body has its own inner pharmacopoeia for healing, for healing emotions, feelings, mental, psychological. And you have to get inside to get in touch with that medicine. Yeah, and you know what I'm thinking for these people? And, you know, they just might find a chair in a place right now. Today they just might find the chair that may be all they do. Yes. Is find a chair they're going to sit on and maybe sit on it for two seconds. And listen, and listen to their breath. Yeah, and you don't have to do it for an hour or whatever. Just no. just find a chair and sit down for a moment. Actually, I don't recommend beginning students to, to go into this introspective healing meditation for longer than 10 minutes to begin with. Oh, very good. So find your chair and maybe 10 minutes. What about the spot? Do you have any suggestions about the spot for these folks? Uh, the spot should be one that isn't uh, frequented by other people. So it should be a chair or a spot where your other family members don't sit. 
mm-hmm. um, a quiet place in the corner. If you have a room that is your room, a quiet corner in the room, get a chair, put it in that corner, tell your family members, this is my sacred space. I love it. This is my healing space. Another thing I really like about in your book is where you talk about living in the present, and you have actually activities for living in the present. Very important. You know, when when you're dealing with loss and grief and sadness, that's in, the act itself is in the past. So if you keep bringing your mind back to the past, your emotions and your physical body, your physiology will follow that into the past, and your body doesn't know the difference between past and present. So your body will feel as though, oh, that suicide is happening now, that loss is happening now. You know, my loved one is now committing suicide at this moment. Your body can't differentiate that. So living in the present and recognizing that this is where I am now is a a tremendous healing state of mind to be in. And, you know, when people say that live in the present, it's so abstract, but you've got things like, get this, Heidi, I love it, Mm -hmm. relaxing your face muscles. Smiling intentionally. Oh, that will bring you into the present. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, a spirit-to-spirit greeting. Oh, listening and journaling. I like your idea about journaling. So those are practical things that we can all do. I mean, our audience out there, if they're having a hard time, they can smile intentionally. That's it. And walking around and looking at people, looking at them in their eyes and smiling to them brings you into the present. So, Francesca, I want to ask you a question in regard to living in the present. What if our audience wants to live in the present, but they're afraid of losing connections with the people that have died? Well, my experience has been, and actually my students have had similar experiences, is that you never lose the memory of your loved one. What you do lose is the charge of the grief and the sadness that's locked into your physical body, and that frees you to be able to experience your loved one more fully and the memory of your loved one in a, uh, a warm and wonderful way rather than remembering your loved one in a uh, unhappy, sad way. I want to remember my mother in a happy way. And, you, and when you get rid of all that victim stuff that you talk about too, victim consciousness weakens our living in the present. So the, the less you're a victim, I think the more you can think of your loved one. And actually, you know, the, the, the victim uh, mentality weakens your physical body. You know, as you know, I've done a lot of research on, on thoughts and emotions and feelings and the effect on the physical body. That attitude weakens your, your digestive system. You know, it, it, it actually usually depends on where your, your body has its, its lowest ebb of life force, but it can weaken any part of your physiology yeah. and therefore induce Ill, illness, physical illness. Absolutely, and that's one of the things we certainly uh, want to avoid during this time of physical illness. I I always think people should actually set an intention to be well. Yes. Did you have any uh, thoughts about grief and the mind-body connection? The um, my personal process and what I teach my students is that the the ability to find a, a quiet place, both in your mind and actually in your home, to do contemplative meditation is, is, a, is a powerful way to induce the ability to let go of grief. And grief is so often locked into your physical body that, first of all, your body needs to relax. Your body needs to be quiet. Your body needs your mind not to be thinking so much about your loss, your grief, and your pain. And a really simple way to do that is to find a quiet place in your house to sit, sit in a chair, and for two minutes, three minutes, just simply focus on listening to your breath. 
um, nothing else, just listening to your breath and make that the most important thing that you're doing for two minutes, for three minutes, and then get up and walk around and do your day. Do that, you know, once a day, twice a day, and from that point on, uh, you most people find that they can sit down in their quiet meditation chair, as I call it, and begin to listen to their body and their feelings in a non-judgmental way. Now, <clears throat> I like that uh, two or three minutes, don't you, Heidi, for short periods when you're beginning these things? Yes, that definitely sounds doable. Yeah. I also um, like your affirmations. I thought they were really excellent to repeat often. I'm going to read a couple of them. I am abundant in my love of self and others. Mm, I like that. I trust my intuition. I operate in life with ease and grace. I mean, grace, ease and grace. My creativity is expansive. I see goodness in myself and in the world around us. I practice truth. I practice compassion with myself and others. I really like that last one because I don't think that people who are grieving oftentimes practice compassion with themselves. And, you know, uh, Gloria, that was a big thing for me after my mother died is that I felt guilty. It was my fault. I made it, you know, I made it at that time my fault. I could have saved her. And all the scenarios went through my head of how I could could have saved her. If I would have done this, she would still be alive. If I would have done this, she wouldn't have killed herself and, and, and on. So I was not feeling really good about myself. And I had to learn how to come to a place of compassion towards myself so that I could live with my mother's passing on. And that's so true. So many people that have someone in their family that commits suicide, they tend to take the blame and think, I could have prevented this, when in reality, they couldn't have. I mean, when someone really wants to take their life, it, it will happen no matter what you've done. And I, I subsequently found out that my brother, who was living at home, he was 18 at the time, also felt as though it was his fault. Mm-hmm. And he went through the same scenario. You know, he could have avoided, helped my mother avoid this if he had stayed home that night and not gone off with his friends and so on. Right. And the reality is maybe just by you being on the earth with your mother, maybe you actually kept her alive longer because she knew you and she loved you and maybe she stayed alive longer than she would have. We don't know. That's a great thought. You know, I'm thinking of some of these um, harmony uh, things that you have in your book or something that if you couldn't just follow your breath, you might say this to yourself. Sit down in a chair and say um, something, I feel nourished from within, and just keep saying it over and over. Or uh, I feel in control of life. I feel a deep sense of calm. The power of affirmations is what you're speaking to, and I believe that would, that in, the, in what I teach my students, that's the second step, but it could be the first step after sitting and listening to your breath is to repeat positive thoughts, positive affirmations. When you can do that, your mind then begins to set itself up in thinking about the rest of your day from a positive framework. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, um, you know, we were going to get some callers, so I don't know. Sometimes they don't come in, but if we have a caller, they could come in. Nope, I guess we don't have one right now. I thought um, I heard the phone. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit because you keep talking about your students and I wanted to talk a little bit about who your students are and what you're doing and how you have an academy in Marin, right, Uh, in California by San Francisco. Yes. And But you also have some online things going on. Could you talk about both of those to our audience? Uh, Yes. Um, My uh, focus, my career has been for the past 30 years training people to – 
become more familiar with the opportunities of healing through holistic health, complementary alternative uh, healing modalities. And because my background is of an, uh, being an educator, I've combined my interest in uh, my, my avocation, became a vocation, I've combined my interest of in holistic health into an, an educational training academy. Um, in 1984, when I founded the academy, um, I I began with, with um, a small faculty. We now have a larger faculty to train people in holistic health so that they could go into um, health clinics, medical clinics, hospitals, and teach other people how to meditate, basically, how to work with um, uh, different forms of getting in touch with their feelings and their mind and their body um, with in... in um, in conjunction with allopathic medicine. And how, how that journey started for me was I met a physician, uh, a, a neuro, neurologist, at a alternative health uh, meeting in the 70s, and he had been looking for someone to come into his medical clinic to teach his high blood pressure patients how to meditate because he, and this was in the 70s, I think he was far ahead of the curve then, mm-hmm. he realized that if he could get his patients to meditate, to be introspective, that their high blood pressure would go down. And he was, he was quite adverse to giving medication unless he absolutely had to. So I began, I, for seven years, I worked in his clinic as a meditation instructor and a kind of an alternative health consultant and teaching his, not only his high blood pressure patients how to meditate, it was quite successful, but we began to realize that other illnesses were also healed in that way. Um, of course, people who would come in with depression, people who would come in with like, various diseases, like skin diseases for some odd reason, mm. would be helped through meditation and so on. And when I resigned from that clinic, I had, I had uh, a, a group of uh, private clients I'd been seeing and, and, and such, and I started the academy so that I could train people to heal themselves. And so a lot of this information from your new book is from the Academy. And then if people want to go to advanced degrees, you can actually do that online so they can actually um, be involved. Is that a master's and a Ph.D. program for the university that you have? Yes, it is. And we are, the Academy and the university are uh, California State approved to give both vocational certifications through the Academy and Master of Science and um, doctorate degrees in holistic health. So we, we are, I think, one of the few approved in the United States universities that gives M- MS and PhDs in integrative holistic health. And the university is almost all uh, distance learning. So if someone, we have students from all over the United States, we have a couple in, in Europe um, who are taking these courses. So you don't have to be based in the Bay Area. Yeah, that's great. And you can go online. How, how do they get you online, Francesca? And we'll put it on our website also. Yes, it's intuitionmedicine.org. That's great, intuitionmedicine.org. Well, one thing I want to talk about, you too, for our audience out there is the life force, um, activities to enhance that life force. Can you talk a little bit about the life force? Well, in... In all indigenous cultures, um, life force is spoken about in, in some way or another, the vital force, the, um, the, the energy that gives life to our physical body, that animates us. And especially in Chinese medicine, there's a whole system 
that when a person's life force or the vitality or their, their light um, is diminished, then that increases susceptibility to, health, to ill health. And in my book, what I do in uh, really simple steps is give you the, um, the, medi- the steps on how to come into a quiet space and feel your own life force vitality. And, to, and the way that I present life force is it's your inner medicine. And I love, you know, um, on page 127, I'm looking right now at this wonderful book, um, Body of Health, The New Science of Intuition Medicine for Energy and Balance. And it has ideas for you like what enhances your life force. Well, one of them really hits me, and that's being out in a bright, sunny day. Yes. Simple as that. Get out, and you might want to take your sunglasses off. Right. And let the full force hit you for, you know, I'm not saying you should get skin cancer or whatever, but get out there. 20 and, minutes and of light a day is important. Yeah, and it's important. I thought that was a great one. And um, completion of tasks and goals. I thought that was interesting. It does make us feel good to be able to complete a, even a small task if you can get up and do do a small thing. Mm-hmm. That can be helpful. Creative expression. Sleeping well. I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Sleeping well increases your life force. So, um, that's certainly something we do for ourselves. I don't think people give enough credit to sleeping either. There's, there's this myth in our country, oh, you know, you're great because you only need three hours of sleep. You're so productive because you only got four hours of sleep. And sleeping is so important for healing and for keeping us healthy and for giving our brains rest, et cetera. Exactly. We've got a caller now, I believe, Tina. Is she on? I am here. Oh, hi. Good morning. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank uh, Francesca you. was telling uh, us that you were one of the uh, students at the Academy and yeah. that we are very uh, sorry to hear you had a fiancé die. I, indeed. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we're very sorry to hear about that. What What was his name? Keith. Keith. And, and what happened to Keith? He... Just died of heart failure, essentially, and it was it was sudden. But um, looking back, you could, I could actually see some of the effects. And to be quite honest with you, the day before he died, I saw and heard and knew that it was going to happen. I didn't know exactly how, mm-hmm. but I knew that he was leaving the planet, mm-hmm. which was kind of a little overwhelming. Yeah, I'd say so. And Francesca talks a little bit about that, about her mother in the book, and uh, many of our audience have that experience, don't they, Heidi? Absolutely, yeah. People talk about just having a feeling, and they also talk about experiencing a physical feeling when someone is dying, that something is happening to them as well. Yeah, one of your twins had that happen, didn't they? Yes, absolutely. So, Tina, how long uh, has it been since? Is it Keith? Was that it? Yeah, Keith. How long has it been since Keith died? September 6th. Oh, very, not very long. It's very recent, yeah. Yeah. So tell us about uh, going to the Academy and your experience and uh, what was helpful for you because our audience out there, a lot of them are very newly bereaved. Yeah, I'm so sorry to hear that for their sake. Um, Yes. I went to the Academy starting in January. I had studied with one of Francesca's students, and that's how I was introduced to this work, and I'd studied a few years prior to this, and I just knew that this was something that I really needed to help me and to really ratchet up my healing process. I started going to, you know, traditional talk therapy, and I had a great therapist, but I felt that there was something that I needed to do that was more systemically grounded. Mm -hmm. So I started with 
Francesca's work in January. Now, when you, for our audience, don't, don't want to interrupt you, but systemically grounded would mean more being in your body with it, right? Exactly. Okay, instead of talking. You know, when you talk, the energy kind of goes up and out your mouth. Exactly, so and you're, you're on your head. And actually yeah. with my therapist, she she asked me to consistently check into the wisdom of my body. But Francesca's work is so targeted towards that mm-hmm. that it, it just manifested it in a, in a much greater way. Mm-hmm. And there, are a, a, in the global scheme, when I started working with her, um, I, I was struggling so much with just wanting to leave the planet myself, mm-hmm. which I'd never felt so profoundly as through this experience. I think our audience can really relate to that. Yeah, yeah. and That's some of the worst thing. experiences I had were feelings of claustrophobia within my own body, of mm-hmm. just being stuck in this dense physical form. And thankfully, those only lasted, you know, a minute or a minute and a half, but if those had continued for very long, I would be a little worried about what I would have done to myself, honestly. And I've never been in such a state before. So the work with Francesca, beginning with the grounding, which she focuses on consistently through her work, and there's was a lot in the book about back sitting, down grounding and your body, mm-hmm. in my body. Mm-hmm. That alone was so incredibly healing and so affirming and such a, a source of strength. But the biggest transition came for me about six weeks into the program. You know, we we start with grounding and then we learn other skills. And about six weeks into the program, one of our uh, assignments was to go into contemplative meditation and look at some energy issues with our chakras and energy cores and entanglements that we may have in our energy body. And when I looked at that, I found some entanglements with Keith, naturally. Mm-hmm. And as I... Um, removed those entanglements through my intention in this contemplative meditation, I came out of it the other side with no longer having this hemorrhaging of devastating grief where I could just sit and cry and look out the window all day. And I realized that part of, I think part of the grief process for people is that they have all these energetic connections with the living, their beloved. And when that person leaves on the physical form, the, the the one left behind still has all those connections, but there's no one connected to it anymore physically. Mm-hmm. So there is a sense that their energy is just flowing out like a like a, a severed artery. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, that's what it felt like to me. And when I when I cauterized that, I didn't have that anymore, and I could pull back into myself and then start healing myself energetically. And um, literally, it was like a 180-degree turn the day after I did that contemplative meditation. It was profound. That is fantastic. Well, thank you so much for calling in, Tina, and good luck on your continued journey. And I'm glad you called in because I want the audience to know that this information is in Francesca's new book on mm-hmm. how to ground yourself, the chakras, all the things you're talking about, and how to fill that dense space with um, air and light and uh, the breath. Yes. Thank, thank you, you and so thank much. And, and again, bless you on your journey. Thank you. Thank you, Tina. Bye. Hi. Well, Francesca, what a, a wonderful story. And I, uh, oh, we've got another caller, Greg. Is Greg there? Uh, maybe we lost him. Francesca, are you there? I'm here. <laughs> you and I are. I guess we lost Greg. Okay, what were you saying? I hear those stories all the time with, with my students, that that through uh, through the work that I teach them, it enables them, it gives them their own powerful tools to come into a body of wisdom. And I think if you enable your physical body 
and your emotions with tools that you can use as your own inner medicine. That That is what outer medicine does, really. It enables the physical and the mental, your physical and mental, to produce healing energy. Mm-hmm. So if you can do that in an inward way rather than taking medication, you're, you're producing the same type of healing response. And uh, it's in your hands. Yeah, and uh, as I said, again, this book is just chock full of wonderful creative things to do, wonderful meditations to give yourself how to meditate, and uh, and also for those folks out there, again, if you're if you live in the Bay Area, Francesca, are you doing any? Oh, I, talk about Omega. Ah, uh, yes, I, I'm teaching a five day workshop at Omega Institute for Holistic Studies in New York. Um, it's a beautiful, wonderful retreat center, and it's I'm, upstate New York. Yes. Right? And, and, uh, what gonna, city is that in, do you know? It's around Albany, isn't it? Uh, uh, Rhinebeck, Rhinebeck, New Rhinebeck. York. Yes. And I'll be teaching actually the, the usual six. Okay. Give us the course again. Uh, yeah, but we're going to put that on our blog. Okay, and we'll take Greg. Hi, Greg. Uh, hi, Dr. Gloria. This is actually Blake uh, oh, calling. Oh, Blake, you know what? Today. We talked um, about you early on, and you're going to be on our blog. This is a guy from the Discovery Channel, everybody. Hi, Blake. Hi. You're on our, you're on our blog. We're just finishing up the show, so um, we, you can call us next week. Okay, great. Yeah, let's do that then. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Okay, Francesca. So the Omega Workshop is um, my six-week course that I teach on campus, uh, Concentrated. So if anyone is interested in learning, you know, the techniques. Fantastic. Do you know the dates? Yes, um, August uh, 13th through 17th. Okay, definitely. I would suggest that people do that. It's going to be a, a fantastic thing, and it's an opportunity to get this information. You can also, if you live in the Bay Area, you can go to the Academy. We'll put the site online, and if you want to get a master's degree or Ph.D. Yeah. Uh, from the university, you can do that from anywhere in the world, right? You can, yes. Fantastic. Well, do you have anything parting that you'd like to say, Francesca, before we end the show? Uh, yes. You know, my, my entire basis of my work in training people to heal themselves has to do with listening to the wisdom of one's own intuitive sense. So my parting words would be intuitive wisdom resides in all of us. We can tap into this innate intelligence to live a more whole and balanced life. Oh, thanks. Thank you. What a great thought to leave Very us with. Important. And thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you, Heidi and Gloria. Thanks, Francesca. And I just have one more um, question, quick question. If someone wants to do this kind of therapy and healing with somebody, they can contact you to maybe get in touch with someone in their area? Absolutely, yes. They can actually contact me via email, and I will personally respond. Okay, give us your email quickly. Francesca, F-R-A-N-C-E-S-C-A, at intuitionmedicine.org. Great. Thank you. Thank you. And it's time to close our show now, and I want to thank Francesca, and our guest next week will be Deborah Reagan, and our topic will be Getting Through Mother's Day. And as Deborah says, so that her first Mother's Day was pure agony, and she's written an essay, Mother's Day Trail Message, which will be on our blog. This show is archived on thegriefblog.com, as well as Compassionate Friends website. This is Dr. Gloria Horsley and... Dr. Heidi Horsley. Francesca, your mother is gone, but never forgotten. She lives on in your heart and memories and in all the work that you do. Thank you. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.